Hi, TJ Leffler coming to you from New York City. And today I'm going to share my story. I was born and raised in Northern Virginia, about 40 minutes west of Washington, D.C. I grew up in the same house my whole life. Uh, I had a mother and father, both married, and my older sister, four years older. We loved for each other, had sibling rivalry, but looked out for each other. I went to a private school for 12 years. It's now one of the top 10 schools in the world. I went to a public high school called Fairfax High School, and um, shout out to all my rebels. I went to Virginia Tech, where I was a Hokie for a little over four years, four and a half years. Um, stayed an extra semester because my sister said that was a good idea. I had lived in Switzerland for one of those semesters, and as I had an awakening that the world was bigger than Virginia, I noticed that New York City might be a good place for me. So I started seeking some opportunity outside of Washington, D.C., and I found myself in a few interviews on Wall Street. I went to Goldman Sachs for a little over three years, and uh, that's where I'll stop for now. Now, you might look at my life and say, well, that's, that's really amazing that you had all of those, those opportunities, TJ, and um, it's really great that you had such an amazing privileged life. Uh, many people don't have that. And to be honest with you, I would say the same thing. Because for a long time, I recognized that many people didn't have the life that I was given, the, the free gift um, that I was given. And when I say free gift, I mean that genuinely. At birth, I was adopted through an organization called Catholic Charities. Now, for the longest time growing up, because I knew I was adopted by the time I was, I'll call it seven, eight years old, I remember having that conversation with my mother, and she was telling me about adoption and what that meant, and I was trying to understand. I remember thinking at that young age that I must have been born with a purpose. I remember thinking at that young age that all the privilege that I had, because my parents, who were raised in lower middle class, middle class Ohio, came from a lot less than what my sister and I had growing up. And so they always reminded us that although we had these great opportunities, like going to a private school, it was one of the best schools, like being able to go to Australia to dance at the Olympics, that's a whole nother story, like being able to go to Virginia Tech and not have to worry about paying for our college tuition because our parents were going to take the loans on our behalf and pay them off for us. Our parents always reminded us that it was a privilege, that the opportunities that we had not everyone else had. So for a long time, I actually felt, oddly, the pressure of privilege and the pressure of purpose. You see, because at that young age, seven or eight years old, when I started realizing very early on that I must have a purpose over my life, I remember when the switch flipped. And like that, I started becoming performance-minded. I started thinking about all the things that I was given as though I needed to make the most of those opportunities because I didn't want to ever waste them. Then, as I got older, as I got into high school, and it became become the captain of this team, become the captain of that team, get on the honor roll of this program, get in the organization that serves that community, join leadership in this capacity. I remember things started becoming more than performance 
minded, they became performance driven. And so very quickly from an early age, I went from believing that I was born with a purpose to feeling like I needed to perform to prove my purpose. And as I got older, when I went to Virginia Tech, I remember when this really came to a head because I was a junior in college and I was sitting at the kitchen table with my parents and I remember they were standing over me and I had just come home from break. And I was sitting at that kitchen table just absolutely crying my eyes out. And here I was, a young, successful, whatever that means by world standards, student who had all the opportunities in front of him. But he felt like it would never be enough. I remember when I was in high school, this was the first moment when I realized it would never be enough. I was at the prom dance for my high school, and I was dating a, a young girl, and we had been dating for a long time, and this was a woman that I thought that at some point in my life I might marry. So I'm 17, 18 years old, I'm at prom, I'm, and they just announced me as prom king. And I remember with all of the amazing opportunities in front of me, you know, college and just really like a, a great ending to high school. High school was a great time in my life. And I was standing there and I was dancing with my, with my girlfriend at the time. And she looked at me and she said, I'm so happy. She said, she said, you should be so happy right now. How do you feel? And I remember looking back at her with this blank stare and an emotionless kind of feeling. If you can have an emotionless feeling. I remember looking back at her and just saying, I, I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied. I don't know what's wrong, but something's not right inside. And from that point on, as I went into college, I remember trying to find satisfaction in all these different areas of my life, and they all come up short. If it wasn't on the lacrosse field trying to earn a starting position, only to lose that starting position that I'd earn, to become bitter about it and have a poor attitude as a result. If it wasn't in the classroom where I tried to you know, really use the power of my, my gift in being able to learn quickly and, and get good grades, only to realize that that wasn't really what this whole thing was about and it had an ending. And if it wasn't for joining some organization to try and make a difference in the world just because I could say I'm making a difference to feel like my life was worth something, only to realize that that wouldn't satisfy anyone if you didn't have meaning behind what you're doing. If it wasn't for going to Goldman Sachs, having tremendous opportunity in front of me, working on the trading floor for three years, a little over three years, making, at the time I was 26, I made a quarter million dollars that year, and realizing that it would never be enough, having peace with the decision to leave, setting off on my own journey, trying to find again that satisfaction through entrepreneurship this time. I'm 26 years old. I'm looking at wine truck, a shoe business, real estate, and launched an app. Next thing you know, 
I've lost over $100,000 in the stock options market. I've lost the last of the half million I'd earned in the first three years out of school. I'm 27. It's October 2016. I'm broke. I'm at a professional crossroads. And I'm in a personal crisis because my father had just been diagnosed with stage four cancer. Now, there's a lot of different routes you can take when you're faced with something like that. You can take the pity me route. You can curl up in a ball and sit in a corner. Or you can do your best to fight through it, understanding that there are some things in life that are out of your control. Well, the benefit of being in that situation, it was a horrible situation, but the benefit of being in that situation is that you realize that when you're in the desert season of your life, there's really nothing else around you. And so you're stripped down to just your bare bones, just how God sees you. And during that time, I was able to see myself the way that God sees me. That no matter what I do, there would be nothing I could do that would please him more than just being who I was made to be. Just being who I was made to be. In other words, you can't do happy. You have to be happy. And to be honest, if you look at the happiest people around you in your life, they're the people who know how to be who they were made to be, genuinely. They're not living two lives. They're not pretending to be somebody they're not. They're not performance-driven. Now, just on a side note about performance-driven, last week I had one of my seminars here in New York City, and somebody had asked me as a follow-up, TJ, what did you mean by performance-driven? Is it a bad thing to be performance-driven? And to what extent? And I said, you know what? It's not a bad thing to be performance-minded. Being performance-driven is a function of that motivation. And my question to you is, what's that motivation? What's that motivation that drives you? Is it the pressure from some sort of piece or part of your life? Is it fear or is it desire? Because when fear runs your life, you will become somebody you don't want to be. You will live in a life that makes you feel like there's more pressure than freedom. And as a result, you'll be doing things that are out of character. For me, what that looked like was going to the casino and spending a lot of money. When I was working at Goldman Sachs, I would go to the casino, I would spend a lot of money, I would make a lot of money. Because why? I had so much pressure on my life to do something with my life, and I didn't know what to do. And that was my only escape, my only outlet. It was a short-term satisfaction, not a long-term fix. And ultimately, those kinds of outlets or those kinds of things can eat you away inside if you don't pay attention to them to take care of them. So what I, what I challenge people with is understanding the motivation in which your performance comes from. Because there's nothing wrong with performing well. Anybody who knows me knows that I like to 
perform at a high level. They know that I'm high functioning. They know I'm super efficient. They know that I genuinely care about performing with excellence. But what's shifted in the last, I'll call it five to 10 years, is the motivation for that performance. And now it's gone from fear to desire, from a fear of never being enough to a desire to fulfill what I can while I'm here. And I no longer use my performance to validate my value. I no longer use my performance to validate my value. And that is something that is conditioned within families, within schools, within companies. People are conditioned that their value is based on their performance, and performance matters. But again, the motivation for it matters more. And the conditioning that I see is eating people away. And there's a reason that suicide has reached such an all-time high and has had tremendous impact. And you're seeing school leaders in like high schools and colleges. You're seeing like students, young people, commit suicide because they feel so much pressure that they'll never be enough. And so what I'm getting at is it's the difference between, and I'll talk about this on another episode, but it's the difference between self-esteem and self-efficacy. Self-esteem is respect for yourself. Self-efficacy is belief in what you can do and accomplish. I've always had strong self-efficacy. My parents have always instilled that I can do anything that I believe in. However, I confuse that with self-respect. I confuse the two. I thought they were one and the same. But what I learned over time is that I didn't respect myself in that process of accomplishing whatever I wanted to accomplish. What does that look like in practice? Well, when I was at Goldman, I literally had that look in the mirror moment before I decided to leave after a promotion. And this is the big catalyst for me. I had just been promoted. Why would I leave? Well, I was looking in the mirror and I saw how pale I was. And I saw that I had bags, huge bags under my eyes. I saw that my body weight, you know, I've, I've never been like a super heavy guy, uh, but I had muscle coming out of college and I lost like all of that. And I was just super slim. I started believing that my body was only meant to carry around my brain so that I could actually function and make money in life. I, t- I started to believe all these lies. Like I started to believe that my image was based on a function of how much money I made and the prestige that I had and the power and influence I might have over a group of people or society. I started to believe all these things. And this was a TJ thing, not a Goldman thing. This was a TJ problem that he brought into Goldman. And what I tell people now, because I'm a coach and speaker, and I'll get into how that happened in a second. And what I tell people now is that you need to address what is going on inside you before you start addressing the environment around you. Because if you can't make the change within, then how do you expect the change to happen when you change the environment around you? Sure, you might see some noticeable differences because the environment does affect you, but in the long run, you still bring you wherever you go. You still go to sleep with you at night. You still wake up with you in the morning. And if you can't address you, then it's going to be hard to make the change that you want to see. And so I always say it starts with you. It starts with what you can control. It's not your boss. It's not your coworkers, your peers, your friends, your family. It's you. 
And it comes it comes down to an understanding of the story that you've lived and the story that you know. And sometimes those two things are very different. I'll dig into that in another episode. So it's October 2016, and all of these crazy things are happening in my life. And at that time, you know, I had grown in a deep relationship. Since moving to New York in 2011, 2012, I'd grown in a deep relationship uh, with God. I had just been really learning more about, like, what that means to me, right? And so faith, thank goodness, like, faith is all I had at that time. Faith is a confidence and hope. Hope is something you don't have, and it's better than what you have now. And so I just had to trust that I could have hope for the future, that the present might kind of stink, but there might be something better on the other side, that every pain serves a purpose, right? Well, that's nice to think about, but in reality, I was sitting there crying my eyes out with my best friend on the phone. He's in London, uh, and, and we're on Skype, and he said, TJ, I've been praying about it. I didn't even ask him for this, but he said, I've been praying about it. And I'm going to send you $15,000. It's going to be in your bank account tomorrow. Uh, There's no expectation of interest. There's no timetable. I just know that you're not meant to go back to work in corporate world. I know you're meant to change the world. So that's going to be in your bank account tomorrow. Is that enough? And, And I didn't have any words as he shared that with me. And... And he looked at me and he said, I believe in you. And that's when I learned that who you are takes you further than what you do. That was a massive perspective shift in my life. That who you are takes you further than what you do. And from that time, like I said, when I was seven or eight years old, when I started to realize the gravity of, wow, maybe we do have a purpose here on earth. Maybe my life has a specific purpose. I started to realize you know, at such a young age that there might be some weight to our life, that it's not just meaningless and that we can create that meaning, to be honest, because we have free will and choice to create that meaning. So here I am at the lowest of low and I see an opportunity to create meaning out of the situation, to use it for something good. I didn't know what I was going to do. I just signed paperwork to get out of the app that we had just launched. And a couple weeks later, uh, it's now early November 2016, I have a vision for an event. And that event um, was called Welcome to Yourself. And I remember looking, uh, I remember looking at my girlfriend and I remember her name is Savannah. And I remember looking at Savannah, I remember saying, I've got an amazing idea. It's like you see me from the back wearing a suit and then I turn around and I'm wearing street clothes and my arms are open and I'm a new person and I'm smiling and I'm happy and it's welcome to yourself. And she looked at me and I think she kind of, she's so sweet because she, she appreciates my creativity and although I might not have a thought fully fleshed out, uh, that she can understand where I'm going with and that there must be something deeper to it. And she smiled and laughed a little bit. And she was like, oh, it's great. And I, here I am. I see the whole thing played out because I'm a visionary. That's what I do. I see things at the end and then I work my way back. And 
tip if you're a visionary, that might be you. You might see things at the end. Nobody else around you might understand it or see it. And that's just, it's not their problem. It's just you have a different gift and that's okay. They have other gifts that you can't understand. Accept that, run with it and keep going. So uh, I decided that in New York City on December 10th, 2016, one month, one month later from that vision, from that idea, I was going to host an event. I was going to call it Welcome to Yourself. It was going to be a four-hour seminar. And TJ Loeffler, with no speaking experience, no formal training, no platform, no social media following, no trust fund, and $15,000 that he borrowed, kind of not borrowed from a friend, was going to put on a show, a four-hour show, and he was going to charge people $75 a ticket to come hear him talk about how to know who you are, why you're really here, and the practical ways you can live your life in its fullest when you lift the weight of expectation over yourself and your career. Sounds like a great idea. Why not? So I started just you know, researching and looking at all these different things. I had to get online. I had to do this. I had to try to Long and short is I had to set a venue. I had to get on Eventbrite. I had to start messaging people directly. I had a year earlier sold on Facebook 25 pairs of shoes that I had never manufactured. All I had was a janky picture, and I sold 25 pairs of shoes for $180 or something per shoe. And I told everyone who bought them that they were going to get them in like six weeks. They didn't come till 12, and then when they did come, they looked like crap. And I said, wow, well, so actually, just so you know, I returned all the shoes and demanded that everybody, well, strongly encouraged everybody get their money back um, and gave them the option to get their money back and keep the shoe if they wanted. However, that was an important lesson learned because a year later, here I am trying to schedule an event and I said, wow, that Facebook thing really worked. Maybe I should try and do that again. So I try and do that. doesn't work super well, but I do manage to get 28 people to show up at Drift Studio in Chelsea right here in New York City, December 10th, 2016. Event goes great. Make about six grand off the first event, then go to Washington, D.C., then take it to London. Then within four months, outside of my control now, I get a message to go speak at a keynote as a keynote at Virginia Tech, my alma mater. And there I am. I remember sitting when I got the message. And Derek, if you're listening, I appreciate you because you didn't know where I was at the time of my life. But this was an amazing opportunity, as you know. To go back to Virginia Tech was like some place where my heart felt so strong. You know, it's just like there's a family there. And to do that at such an early stage of my speaking career, quote unquote, was an amazing opportunity. And the growth that I saw over the first four months of me living out in my purpose, because I had identified what you didn't know is about a year prior to launching this event, I had, I had discovered my purpose. I went and sat down in a two-day strategy session and discovered not just who I was, but all of the different parts about my life that uh, played into my purpose, the breadcrumbs that played into my purpose and how I could live that out here on earth. And by the way, you have many purposes. You can have many um, directions with your life. You can have many roles with your life. And I discovered that myself. And as I finally got the courage to actually take the risk and start coaching, 
because I was afraid of doing it, because I was afraid of this, again, with the performance-driven mentality that, you know, I wasn't good enough to perform at the level that I wanted to, um, where I feel like I could be comparable to where I came from, from a Goldman Sachs to now, what am I, a 20, at that time, 27-year-old life coach who had never climbed Everest, who had never gone to study under, uh, you know, Tibetan monk, who had never, um, you know, overcome losing a leg or, uh, you know, some terminal illness, whatever it was, here I was offering myself and my knowledge and my wisdom, whatever that meant, and my, my gifting to people who I thought could really value it, but I didn't value it myself until I had to look around and say, I don't really have anything else. I'm just going to be who I was made to be. And you know what? The first comment that came out of my mentor, a good friend of mine, came to uh, came to the first Welcome to Yourself. And the first comment he said was, you just look so happy. You just look so happy. And so from that point on, you know, I, it, was, it was wild because um, Virginia Tech, the keynote, and people spend four years speaking for free to get that kind of fee, to get that kind of speaking opportunity, a keynote, let alone whatever the speaking fees are, and getting other opportunities to start speaking, and then workshops, and at companies, and, and then growing, and, and the type of people that came back into my life that I saw that I was then in a position to offer whatever I had my gifts to. Um, people that I genuinely cared about. We could talk about how like purpose is actually played out and lived out and identity and all those things in another episode. But the point is when you know that you're using your gifts and applying it to people that you genuinely have a heart for or care about, you're actually living out a like clear calling in your life. Um, and it brings you a lot of joy. It brings you a lot of fulfillment. And um, if you can monetize that, that's a vocation. Uh, that's something that, that is different than an occupation, which is paycheck driven. It's a vocation. It's purpose driven, and so there I was over the next over the course of 2017, um, and trying to grow the speaking career and starting to work with just the people that came into my life. Um, one woman who was the right hand woman to Marissa Meyer, former NFL player, um, you know, old friends. I had people who were entrepreneurs, people who had just started coaching themselves. All these different people started coming into my life and I started realizing, oh my gosh, like this is truly not just what I'm made to do, what I love to do. And when you love something, it's a feeling, but it's also a choice. When you love someone, it's a feeling, but it's also a choice. And because I had never really chosen to pursue this before, I had never really felt that kind of love before. And so I want to encourage somebody wherever you are today, because now here I am um, in, in 2018, okay, I'm, this episode's recorded in April, April 2018, and I want to encourage somebody because you might have been holding back something that you know is greater, something, some, some greater calling over your life. You might not know what it is yet. That's okay. I spent, I remember, and I'm just going to give you more context here, I remember when I was 16 years old. I walked into, at the time, it was Borders. And the one book that I came out with, the one book was called Introducing Consciousness. And it talks about all of the different theories and Rene Descartes and all these different people and the difference between your soul and your body and are they separate or are they the same? And 
and the consciousness that we can have in our life and how that can change and affect the way we live. I was 16 years old. And I remember at that same age, I had these, these epiphanies and revelations about what this life could mean and how short this time was here on earth and how there was, a, there, there was, gen, there was some urgency to be able to do something with our lives, but I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And I just felt the, the gravity of that, not the weight, but the gravity of that thought at 16. And I remember at that point, I started journal. I started writing. I started just putting all these thoughts on paper in this, what I didn't know at the time was this start to a journey of self-discovery, which I think will perpetually be on. But it was a start to this journey where I've gotten a lot of clarity in the last, you know, it took me 13 years, but I got a lot of clarity to the point where I now understand so much about myself. And part two, not only am I aware, but I've accepted. And that's what took me a long time is I was aware of a lot of things. Then I needed to accept them, embrace them, right? That, for example, I didn't have control over my adoption at birth. I wasn't neglected. In fact, there was a tremendous gift. It was a tremendous gift that I was given to be given to my family. Within three to six months after being born, I mean, as a child, like, no control. And so many children, there's a reason I have a heart for homeless people who are out on the street, because so many people don't have control over their circumstance. So many children end up in circumstances that aren't empowering, that aren't loving, that don't bring them that privilege. And it's not a pressure to live from that privilege. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to share some of the things that you've been given with other people to the extent that they want them. And by the way, not everybody's going to want what you have. That's okay. Not everybody's going to want what you have. And that's the other thing we can accept and embrace. But it took me from awareness to acceptance to actually translate that into action. And I had to be at my lowest of low points to actually fully embrace and accept not just everything I had, but who I was as a person. And that gave me the confidence or it just really no other alternative, but to curl up in a, in a corner gave me the, the confidence to, to go out and actually start executing on the things that I knew I, would, I was capable of, the life I knew I could live. And so from that point, I've just been coaching and speaking. So I do private coaching. I do public speaking, um, working with whether it's individuals um, and, and I have a boot camp now that I built online called Live Your Legacy because you can't leave a legacy if you're not living it. So I've got this six-week boot camp that I built out. Now working at companies and going and speaking with you know, employees and potential employees at companies about how they can create more connection and meaning and, and really deeper satisfaction, not just in their work, but in like their opportunities that they have to connect with other people at their work. Uh, so there's so many things that come from this. And and I, I just can't encourage somebody enough. Like after all the things I've gone through, my father passed away in July 2017. That's a whole nother episode. I think there could be a whole, there could be a lifetime worth of, of things learned from that and experiences shared from that, I think, to really help somebody else. But I don't want to get too off track for the sake of this topic right now. And that is, I just want somebody to be encouraged by listening to this story. So if you're inspired, if you're encouraged, um, I just want you to, I'll encourage you to message me. 
to message me and to let me know how this directly affects you. Because I know this was meant for somebody. I know somebody was meant to be listening to this. And, um, and if you got some value out of it, share it with somebody else. Testimony comes from a Greek word, which means to be shared again or to tell again. And so this was my testimony. And I will say, like, in, in my heart of hearts, there are only so many things you can control in life. And the things that I cannot control, I have seen God be so good and so faithful. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it's humbling. And it's humbling to know how good and faithful like the Lord is. It's humbling. And I haven't even dug into the depths of like that spiritual journey that I've been on for the last few years. But um, there are doubts, right? That, and that's natural. So I'll encourage anybody who's on that spiritual journey. There are doubts. It's natural. There are times where you're, you know, where you might be struggling to believe in yourself and to believe in what's possible for your life because you might be in a circumstance where you have no control and it kind of stinks. But I want to encourage you because um, every pain does serve a purpose. Every single thing that you've gone through or that you're going through serves a reason or a greater purpose or cause or, or, or opportunity in your life. But you have to seek it out because you get what you seek in this, in this world. It is the absolute truth. You get what you seek. So I hope that after listening to this testimony that you seek what's possible for your life, that you seek the things that you know that are good for you and better for other people because I want you to not do happy. I want you to be happy. I want you to be happy. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I know that some of you are just jumping onto this um, audio channel. And so I will encourage you to hop onto Facebook at TJ Luffler. Um, you can hop onto Instagram at TJ Luffler, LinkedIn at TJ Luffler and uh, Twitter at TJ Loeffler. I'm, I'm all on the different social media channels. So I'll encourage you guys to just come find me, come chat me. Um, I love hearing from you guys and I appreciate you. Thanks so much for listening. Be encouraged. Be encouraged.